from Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. From Connecticut, I'm Erica Ducey. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Chabal. This is the Vine Pair Podcast. And, uh, you know, before we get rolling um, with this topic today, which I'm excited to talk about, Erica, I do want to mention one thing, Mm -hmm. which is that I am super, super, super craving your husband's new dishware line that is a special edition. These oval plates that he just came out with are pretty dope. Oh, the ombre. (laughs) Yeah, they're pretty dope. Oh, yeah. People are freaking out about those. People probably don't know what your husband does, but he is a very skilled potter. Do you want to give him a little plug? Sure. Uh, he's John O. Pandolfi Design, so you can follow him on Instagram. He just hit 50,000 followers the other day. It's at John O. Pandolfi, so J-O-N-O-P-A-N-D-O-L-F-I. And he makes dinnerware for restaurants and hotels, which isn't a great part of the business to be in right at this moment, but <laughs> yeah. also for uh, con- for consumers. He does direct-to-consumers, so um, check out his dinnerware if that's something you're into. Uh, I am. I think they're awesome. Um, but anyways, so besides that, how are you guys doing? So I I was going – I don't want to start off on a down note, but I've been having a bit of a tough week. So I just looked at my April bank statement, and all I bought last month was groceries, alcohol, and stuff for my kids. That felt sad. Now here's why. None of the stuff that I love to do, which is going to restaurants and bars and traveling to wine regions and going to distilleries and attending drinks conferences, all of that, which is 80% of my life is on hold. And the reality is we don't know when it's coming back. So I think this week, it just, it really hit me. We talked with Jack McGarry, uh, the founder of one of the world's best bars, Dead Rabbit, for an article. And He said he doesn't know if he'll be able to reopen until 2021. And that was sobering. Yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty big downer. Like, but you know, I think what is also really interesting, not to get like crazy political here, although I mean, if you listen to this podcast for the last two years, you know where I stand. What I thought was really interesting is this data that we were sharing in Slack today, Erica, that, uh, that came out on CNN, which shows that like, there's just this massive divide in the country politically amongst who thinks that we're ready to open now and is and is saying that restaurants should be fully open and bars should be fully open and who is like no 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 like we don't have this kicked yet like we need to wait and like it's like 70 percent of republicans believe that bars and restaurants should open and only five percent of democrats it was shocking and so i just think like yeah yeah and so like until that divide comes together and we can all agree like this is also just going to be conti- like this really haphazard thing happening across the country where maybe depending on where you're listening to us, you may be in a place where stuff is opening. Uh, you know, I'm in a city where I have no idea when it's going to open again, you know, and I think that that's also going to be really weird to watch as, uh, you know, both journalists as well as consumers to see like who is going out and who isn't. Because I have to say right now, if stuff opened, I, I say I want to go, but I don't know if I would because I don't know if I – trust that we're making the right decision at this moment to open and that we would all be safe. Right. Well, I'm in a good mood because I just got three dozen oysters on the half shell delivered no. to the door about an hour before we started recording. That's so awesome. uh, I know what I'm having for dinner oh, that's tonight. That's pretty awesome. 
it was uh it was definitely like i was uh friends of mine a couple of people in the industry were like yeah one of our big one of the big suppliers around here one of the big uh shellfish farms is doing like door-to-door delivery basically uh if you order three dozen or more like free delivery and i was like well my wife and i will eat three dozen oysters sure no problem so yeah so they're in the they're in the fridge getting ready for uh this evening so yeah that is uh that's my little bit of sunshine i know how you stand with oysters too Real snob about them. Real snob. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, man. You know, you 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 have yet to come out here and and see for yourself. So uh, Are they we'll, from we'll talk when you come. Uh, they're actually from Hamahama oh, Oyster Company, which is one of the other big. Oh, yeah. jealous. So, are you also a like West Coast oysters are better than East Coast oysters person, Erica? Because we know Zach is a hundred percent. Strong yes. I mean, I like all oysters equally, but I will admit that mo- for the most part, West Coast oysters are better. <laughs> and Hamahamas are the best. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll send you guys some pictures. Oh, please. <laughs> Eric, come on. Like, you know, well, I was going to say, there might, you might be surprised, maybe not in Connecticut, but I but I think I've seen some stuff about some, uh, some especially seafood purveyors looking to, to kind of be able to deliver to homes and, and get to the, you know, to the consumer market. Because for, for I think, seafood in particular – uh, and shellfish, maybe even more than just regular sea- other kinds of seafood, is so restaurant dependent for so many of these things. How many people in a normal day or you know normal course of life will get raw oysters and eat them at home, even if they love them out? So, so you might be surprised at what you guys could get delivered, um, or listeners where they are. It's a good idea. I'll give it a try. Are you shucking them yourself? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know how to do that. That intimidates me. It's actually <laughs> it's actually not that hard. <laughs> You just need an oyster knife. If you've got one of those, it's, it's it, which is a, like a ten to fifteen dollar piece of equipment. With one of those, it's actually not very hard. I'm not. In, uh, it's it's tough. Yeah, I'm not in the position to do anything right now that would wind me up in a hospital. And I could <laughs> I could I could see this like going straight through my hand, and then all of a sudden I'm like, we got to go to the emergency room. It'd just be a really really big mistake. But yeah, you enjoy true. them. <laughs> I will. I use a towel. Don't worry. I protect myself. <laughs> okay. So I think before we get started, one of the things we want to talk about is this amazing uh, new part of the VinePair website that we launched that is a project of Erica's, which is VinePair Pro, um, which is aimed at the industry. So Erica, before we before we jump into the, the topic today, I thought we could take some time to chat a little bit about VP Pro. Absolutely. So We have been reporting on the pandemic and its impact on the industry from the earliest days. I think we were the first publication to spin up a live blog and consistent coverage of COVID-19 and how it's been impacting the drinks industry. And we do almost daily podcasts talking with leaders in the industry about how they are pivoting their businesses or grappling with the new reality. And we really realized that there is a gap in the market among publications for someone like us for VP Pro and VinePair to come in with its data-based insights and fresh ideas from leaders from throughout the industry to develop an entire content program. So that's what we've done. This platform is totally free and it's designed to help our listeners who are in the drinks trade find a new path forward. So we've gone from reporting on the pandemic and now we are shifting our focus to the rebuilding. And I think that's the very best thing we can do. We can help the drinks trade rebuild. And what that looks like is we are doing uh, data-focused 
articles and reports every week. We will have a first look for our subscribers at our VinePair Audience Insights, which is our consumer insights product. And we'll have recaps of all of our industry-focused podcasts. So that's everything from this podcast you're listening to right now to our COVID-19 conversations and a forthcoming Industry Night podcast, which we're really excited to introduce, that will be profiling different leaders from throughout the industry. So uh, I think anyone in the industry, whether you're a producer, an importer, a retailer, a sommelier, a Cicerone, uh, etc., anyone in the industry can benefit from subscribing to this platform. And how do they do that? They go to vinepair.com and in that top nav, there is a link that says VP Pro. When you go to that homepage for VP Pro, you'll find uh, an easy way to sign up and you'll find all of our coverage already there. Awesome. Zach, anything to add? Any questions? I was just going to say that uh, I really wish <laughs> I wish I will be doing that as soon as we finish recording. And I wish this existed when I had a restaurant to work in, but uh, I will in the future. So that's good. Yes, you nice. will. You will. Um, cool. So let's get into today's topic, which is summer drinks from home, basically. So, you know, every year around this time, we sort of make predictions for what we think the big drinks of the summer are going to be. Um, last year, I think no one could have predicted it would have been seltzer. Well, we did, but uh, I think a lot of other people didn't really see it coming. So, you know, I think the the thing to really focus on today is, you know, what do we think the big drinks are going to be? And especially how is drinking going to change this summer? Because so many of us will still be at home. And if we are drinking, we're drinking in our backyards more than we're drinking out of bars. We're drinking in parks. Uh, you know, we're maybe if beaches are open where we live, drinking at beaches, et cetera. So guys, what are your predictions? Yeah, I'll start. So I think to me, you know, some of what I'm expecting is an acceleration of trends that we've already been seeing over the last couple of years. And and we've talked out, I think, you know, Adam, you and I have talked about this a couple of times and, and we've all talked about it. I think, you know, uh, hard seltzer is one category. I really expect the whole Basically, anything that comes in a can to be to continue to to grow, besides maybe beer, and I think a lot of that is we talked about this a few weeks ago. I think we're talking about you know I was struck yesterday, obviously. Uh, so we're recording this on uh, May sixth. So yesterday was Cinco de Mayo, and I couldn't believe the number of people I saw walking around my neighborhood with just either uh, you know beers or what appeared to be margaritas. And full disclosure, my wife and I were those were two of those people walking around our neighborhood with them. It was also a really beautiful day in Seattle, so so it made a lot of sense. But but I just think like anything that allows people to to get into these sort of quasi permitted spaces that are um, really suitable for um, for enjoyment that you can maybe be safe in in terms of like keeping some distance or at least not being in a, an enclosed area and and something that you can just grab and go and obviously that's been a huge trend for for years now but I I mean the, that is to me the thing that I expect to see is just everywhere because because the the other venues for summer drinking as as adam mentioned introducing the topic are just not going to be available or, or may not be available everywhere and certainly not for summer all of the summer yeah i think that's right i think that's right i mean yesterday i walked into my park and uh it was crazy because it was it was nice here not like probably as beautiful as it was in seattle um it's starting to get cool again which is weird um but yeah like tons of people on blankets etc socially distancing and all drinking what we call, you know, ready to drink RTDs or they had one of those kinds of cups. I think the manufacturers of these like sippy to go cups, you know, that used to think like who, who drinks out of those people would be like wine moms, you know, like that are these, you know, cups where you can fill basically a bottle of wine and, and something that looks like a tumbler and seal it. There's tons of people drinking out of those too. 
Um, and I think that you'll see a lot more of that. I think that's, that's a pretty solid prediction. One trend I'm really excited about that we've been seeing uh, result in a ton of traffic on Vine Pear's recipe database is people making cocktails at home. And this can be any type of cocktail, but really we're seeing a lot of people make the simple classics. So like margaritas right now are off the charts. And we in general are seeing the recipe database traffic higher than almost any other time of the year right now, because people are just really wanting to create some of the cocktails at home that they usually would have in a bar or restaurant setting. So margaritas, I think we will see continue to pop between now and all throughout the summer. It actually does really well all summer long for fine pear. Also blackberry. You may not be thinking about Blackberry, but uh, I saw a ton of traffic going to Blackberry Mojito, Blackberry Bourbon Sours, Blackberry Margaritas. So I think Blackberry is actually having a moment right now. Makes sense. I mean, I agree. I I think Blackberry is going to be everywhere. But has Blackberry always been having a moment? I don't know. I haven't seen it as much in the past. What do you think, Zach? Well, so I think actually this this is a great transition into the next thing I was going to say, which is I think fruit in general is going to be huge this summer. And obviously, again, to some extent, this is true every summer. But I think you know so much of what's going to define summer drinking in 2020 is people looking for comfort and people looking for you know familiarity, as you were talking about, Erica, with cocktails that they're they're well acquainted with, and maybe they're looking for twists on them, but they're but they're looking for something that's going to you know for for lack of a better word, kind of remind them of a different time. And I think that fruit is the other part of this, right? Like it is such an essence of summer. And yet in drinking has kind of been poo-pooed. You know, I think we went through a phase where where, you know, infusions and fruit in drinks was trendy. And then we kind of moved away from it. You know, everything became super serious. Let's do everything spirit forward. Let's deal with, you know, liqueurs. And, and, and that is something that persisted year round. And I think that 2020 is going to be all about sweet and fresh and fruit because like, again, those are the things that give us the most just sort of base pleasure. And uh, as we all know, that the, that's going to be what a lot of people want. So Blackberry is, you know, right at the top of that list. It's they're delicious. They're sweet. They're in certain parts of the country, like wildly abundant, like they are here in the, in the Northwest and uh, when they're in season and, and just, again, they just, they have that wholesomeness to them in a way that isn't necessarily what people look for in drinking all the time. But I think this year, this summer, that's going to be what people want. And so maybe it's, maybe it's simple two and three ingredient cocktails. So whether you're talking about a bourbon sour or a margarita, those are three ingredient cocktails. And then you just add that extra ingredient of blackberry or blackberry puree. So I think it's the simplicity of adding that additional layer of flavor that makes it feel seasonal and festive and fresh that probably is going to have a lot of appeal this summer. I think you guys are right. I mean, I think people are going to try to look for anything that feels like an escape. And I think fresh fruit does often feel like an escape. You know, it reminds you of like going to the beach and getting like that really fresh cocktail that you know from the local tiki bar or from the the just the the beach stand bar where you got a pina colada or something or a strawberry daiquiri i think that that's what people are going to be looking for because a lot of us aren't going to be traveling or if we're going to be traveling we're going to be traveling not very far right so maybe we'll get in the car and drive an hour or two to a friend's house who we trust and stay with them for the weekend or something or maybe there's a um, a hotel that we we trust the cleanliness of this summer but for the most part i think people are going to be 
kicking it at home or very close to home. So those kinds of cocktails make a lot of sense. I also think, you know, obviously uh, it's a trend every year, but I, I really do believe we're going to have a massive summer for rosé. Mm-hmm. And depending on how much rosé is on the market, right? So as long as there's enough that's made it here, um, I think it'll be pretty huge. And the reason for that is, again, that same idea of escapism. People are going to be looking for something to drink that makes them feel like they're in a different place and nothing kind of is more reminiscent of the seaside in the south of France and this idea of, uh, you know, accessible luxury than what rosé has become. I mean, we talked about it last week on the on the Top 25 Rosé podcast, and we sort of chatted a lot about how we're already seeing that spike happening now. And I think it's only going to continue, like, again, just taking that same approach that Zach did about what he's been seeing just walking around. When I've been walking in the park, I've seen a lot of people with bottles of wine, and, and more often than not, that bottle of wine's color is rosé. Um, I see some white, I, I see very little red to be honest, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing lots of pink wines. And I think, again, it's just this idea that pink is what makes people feel like they're in a different place and that they're kind of, they're not celebrating. I think sparkling will continue to not do super well, uh, in the next few months because sparkling feels so celebratory, but that they are, you know, having something that's delicious and makes them feel like they're somewhere they're in, in a different place than they are right now, basically. That's really interesting because I had almost the opposite intuition about sparkling wine, which is that I kind of thought people were going to look for these sort of what I guess I would consider small victories in their day or in their week. And and maybe that might drive them to a little more sparkling wine because traditionally in this in the U.S. we have we have tended to reserve sparkling wine for for celebrations with maybe the exception of Prosecco. But I, I was kind of wondering if we might see more sparkling wine consumption in the summer because it's, it is the kind of thing that, that fits the the weather in general, but it also, yeah, it's like, it's that idea of if it doesn't transport you in the way that Rosé does, it does sort of, it, it's almost like it is a smile in a glass in a sense, right? Like you can't not be in a sort of good mood drinking sparkling wine. And so I, my intuition, which, which could be wrong and it isn't based on anything other than that is that we might see an uptick uh, when, when typically I think summer is not usually a super busy time for sparkling wine. Yeah. Right now sales of sparkling wine are way down. So I think it's, there's a little bit of a, a low point to come back from, but I think where we will see sparkling wine is with spritzes. So Aperol spritzes, you you can make a simple blackberry spritz. You can make really any type of spritz with a little bit of liqueur and some seltzer on top with a a squeeze of lime or something like that. So I do think we'll see a little bit of an uptick, but I think people are generally thinking that sparkling wine feels kind of celebratory right now and they're not in such a celebratory mood, which makes me a little sad too. Yeah. I mean, I I do think the spritz will probably come back because you're going to see the companies, you know, that, that are committed to marketing because this is the, the season that they still rely on to spend. So like, I think that's, what's been really interesting on the business stamp, like on the business front is that you had all these companies say, Oh, we're going to cut back marketing budgets because of, you know, COVID-19. But then like, all I saw the last few days is spirits companies that own tequilas spending tons of marketing on tequila content, right? Because this is still the Super Bowl for them. This, this yesterday and then this last week leading into um, the summer, which is why I do think we'll still continue to see a lot of tequila consumption throughout the summer. Um, and I think you'll see, you know, especially probably Campari spend a good amount on the promotion of Aperol because it, this is a big time for Aperol, right? This is when we all think of the spritz and want to want to drink the spritz, et cetera. But I think for just sparkling wine in general. I mean, if you look at current data, as Erica's saying, I think that the the consumption will be pretty down. Um, I think maybe Prosecco will be up still, 
or be at least normal um, because people I think think about Prosecco more as a sociable uh, beverage than they do maybe champagne or cava or something that might feel to them to be a little bit more, I don't know, yeah, celebratory is probably the best word for it. Um, and then I do think potentially, again, with the rosé trend, pink sparkling could do well, mm. right? Because again, it, it like sort of bleeds that line. But I, yeah, I think it's going to be a very, if there's anything that's been indicating this from what we're seeing in terms of what people are reading, I think it's going to be a brutal summer for champagnes like just brutal yeah. could be and that's i mean that sucks for so many of these producers that we all like but i think i think it, it's just there's so much caught up in our collective thinking of like when we drink champagne and why we drink champagne and that's benefited that category for so long and it's just the one thing that is going to hurt that category right now which is that people just don't feel like fucking celebrating anything right now True. Yeah. And I think also going into a recession, when you're thinking about value and value brands popping, Prosecco is really where it's at. Champagne is going to have a tough time with that. Yeah, I think so too. I have a beer related thought here, which I which I've been sort of uh, yes. curious to get your guys's read on, which is so so typically, you know, we think about this time of year, uh, you know, summer for beer being, you know, on the one hand, you're sort of you know your lighter beers, whether they're actual like light beers, whether they're kind of your clean, crisp pilsners, kolsches, etc. And then you know, there's kind of the occasionally the sort of then there's a sort of like fruit beer question and and you know we already kind of covered my thoughts on how fruit will be a big uh feature this year but but i wonder you know do you guys expect to see a real shift because as we've talked about on previous podcasts in a lot of ways the this this uh, crisis from from covid is really hitting breweries maybe harder than anyone you, you, do we do we expect that that this is going to be uh, a summer of beer drinking that kind of looks like a summer from maybe 10 years ago in terms of what what is popular, you know, bigger brands? Or, or do you do we think that even if they don't have, to, you know, a lot of cases, a lot of parts of the country, if they can't have tap rooms open, if you can't go to a beer garden, do we still expect to see kind of the the, the normal slice of the pie going to craft beer? I was just talking with Kat, our beer editor at Vine Pair. Uh, and she said that she is seeing people consumers and people in the beer industry and adjacent to the beer industry walking miles and miles for beer from local breweries, supporting them with online purchases, with curbside pickups, with delivery where available. I think the biggest trend she and I were talking about is that beer lovers are going above and beyond to support the breweries they love. And she said that that is more apparent to her now than ever before. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's going to be a little of both. Some of these breweries are not going to be in the consciousness just because they haven't figured it out yet. So I think what I've been seeing over the last few weeks has changed my mind a lot in terms of what I thought was going to happen. So I thought it was going to be all basically very well distributed big beer brands as well as like the larger craft brands. And you definitely are seeing that in a lot of places. But in New York, especially like a lot of these craft breweries that have figured out the delivery model, I'm now starting to see people all over the city drinking them again. And also some people saying that they're being able to drink stuff that they wouldn't normally be able to get because they, they weren't going to venture to the brewery to like get in line for its, its most recent can release or something. Right. So now, as long as they spend at least 50 bucks, they get free delivery and it, you know, it comes within the next day and it's a few, you know, it's two or three, four packs usually of these beers that people are really interested in. So I think it'll be a mixed bag. I mean, I do think it's going to lean still more to the larger breweries just because of access, but I think the people who are really passionate will still support 
the craft breweries in the same way that I think we're seeing the people who are really passionate about some of the craft spirits and, and, you know, the boutique wine brands are still really going out of their way to support those. But I think, you know, it'll be, it depends on where you are in the country, to be really honest. Sure. Like it, that will depend. Right. And then that'll determine like what you're drinking and, and, um, you know, how you're consuming. And then there's people like me who just wanted to feel the sand in my toes and the wind through my hair. And I had a Corona with lime yesterday and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, I do think people are going to do that. Like my favorite thing in the summer is going to the beach. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, Zach, and like getting a cold draft beer of like macro yeah. lager, like no matter what country I'm in, right. If I'm in Greece and I go to the beach or if I'm in Florida and I go to the beach or whatever, like a cold macro draft lager when you've been in the sun all day is there's almost nothing better than that. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, I'm probably, I'm probably going to buy some macro lager and get it really cold and go to the park and try to recreate it as best I can. Because there, <laughs> there is, you know, there is just something about that in the summer, like to drink these like things we kind of refer to as lawnmower beers Yeah, that just are really great when it comes to summer drinking and that do feel somewhat escapist and refreshing in a very different way than what we're experiencing right now. So, so I definitely will try to do that. And hopefully like, I'm really hopeful that New York, even if we stay somewhat socially distanced, will open the beaches a little bit and I can at least somehow get out to the Rockaways or something and socially distance myself at, you know, Fort Tilden or something and sit in the sand for a day and listen to the waves and and drink a beer. I'm really hoping that can still happen this year and that, you know, they won't keep it closed because it's still a city park, but who knows? I have, I have one last thought about uh, one other trend that kind of ties into a couple of those things you were just mentioning. And that's the other thing that I think is going to make a comeback this summer are drinks made in blenders, because to me, I think that's the other, Mm -hmm. the other category that, that really has been kind of like, you know, again, poo-pooed by the serious bartending craft um and and not for not necessarily incorrectly i think there's a lot of the sort of frozen whatever drinks that that when made poorly are pretty bad and and most of the time they were made pretty poorly but you know god damn it i love blending up drinks in the summer like there is nothing to me quite as refreshing as like a blended you know whether it's a pina colada margarita you know there's something about those drinks that like yes i will never claim that they are the pinnacle of of cocktails like but i don't need them to be and they are they're refreshing they are fun they are an easy way if you can socialize with people you know a a blender full of whatever the drink of your choice is and again i think you know i think we will see this sort of hybrid of what has become really popular with uh sort of a throwback to a lot of um kind of classics but i would say even like you know sort of again almost nostalgia drinks and and again i think about that like blender full of whatever drink as being something that like that feels very out of time but because we're in this you know unprecedented time it makes a certain kind of sense to me that i might want to sit on my deck with uh a blender pitcher full of margaritas with my wife and like you know talk to the neighbors and just be like well this is what we're doing now (laughs) i'm so into that i think that's a great idea I'm super into blender drinks. My only thing is I don't have a blender. So do you guys have like a preferred brand? I mean, you want to spring, you want to spring for the Vitamix and you got, you got all the money in the world, then go for it. But otherwise, man, I don't know. I, I got, I got mine as a wedding present. So yeah, I think you're out of mine, luck there. Mine, mine like broke and we never replaced it. So like, I don't know what to get, like what, like a KitchenAid or uh, an Oxo. Like there's gotta be some brand. If you, if you have a preferred blender and you listen to the podcast, please email Adam at podcast at and give him your blender advice, your blender recommendations. Exactly. Or as we've been saying, apparently on every episode, just send Adam a blender. Why not? I'll take it. I'll take a picture of it, you know, socialize it. 
let me know. Podcastofmypair.com. I'll let you know where to send the blender. Uh, if you got a preferred cockroach through that blender, let me know. You may not have Jono's 50,000 followers, but but people pay attention. I'm sure he's close. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, guys, this has been a lot of fun again this week. Um, talking about some drinks trends. It's actually made me quite thirsty. So I think I'm going to go pop a bottle of wine uh, at the end of this. As always, everyone who's listening, thank you so much for taking the time to spend uh, your Monday, Tuesday, et cetera, when you listen to this with us. We really appreciate it. And if you are enjoying the show as much as we love making it, please leave us a review, rating, et cetera, on Apple, iTunes. I mean, on iTunes, they're the same thing. Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts helps everyone discover the show. Zach, Erica, talk to you both next week. Talk to you then. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Bind Bear Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.